This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share, and collaborate. Good morning, good morning, good afternoon, depending on where you are at. And today, well, we're going to be talking about weather, right? Why not? I guess it's always the good thing to do, and everybody always likes to talk about it. But it's the importance of weather and really how it has the impact on emergency management, has an impact on what we do um, specifically on response, and then yeah, kind of uh, how weather in general just impacts, you know, your day. And I'd like to bring in Don. Don, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm good to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, I mean, like, as we are talking about before the show, you're not a meteorologist, but you play one on TV, right? It looks like I'm on TV now, so that makes <laughs> it even better. <laughs> so, weather. How, like, how did you, first of all, I'm just always interested to see how people got to where they got. Like, how did you end up? working for storm geo and where you are today yeah and, and my role at storm geo is on the commercial consultative side so it's my job to understand what what clients need and the solutions that we bring so I'd, I'd been in the consultative sales world for about 20 years and had uh, had the opportunity to change careers and came to uh, storm geo and storm geo is focused on business impacting weather and so that that's how i came to it so that's what we're around is not just forecast but how they impact organizations and, and entities and, and particularly the business commercial world and so I, I quickly learned i thought i knew something about weather having grown up where i did where we have a hurricane exposure i'm a i'm a, a gulf coast native but there's all kinds of weather everywhere and as we you and i were talking about off mic uh, meteorologists are a very special kind of scientist slash geek. They have a passion about this, and um, and it does have a lot of impact on a lot of things that we do, just in our personal life and definitely in our business and in our um, in our organizational life. You know, be emergency management, whatever it might be. So, at the end of the day, though, I mean, you make a lot of decisions. We we as a collective we right, and as John says here, who doesn't have a weather issue, right? Um, we you know we have make decisions based upon on weather and especially now what you're doing in the in with the oil industry uh, with refineries coming online or offline whether they're going to move oil rigs or not there's a lot of decisions that are made based upon on on weather and so you guys give them 100 percent accurate uh predictions correct that's right no weather forecast ever has been wrong in <laughs> fact a, a lot of what we talk about and it's probably valuable to talk to the audience here and probably where some of our conversation will go is around the, there's what's known as the deterministic forecast that's the number you see for example on tv you know the high tomorrow will be 77 you know the low tonight's going to be 41 there's a 20 percent. well now i just said 20 percent chance of rain now we've slipped over into something called probabilistic forecasting and so there's the two elements that are there uh, but almost every deterministic forecast is going to, because of the quality of the models and the quality of the science now is getting better and better, but there still is a range of probability and possibility in these very complex systems that produce weather. And so, you know, the question is, are you missing by a degree? Well, maybe that doesn't matter unless that degree, is it going to be 33 or 32? Well, mm -hmm. then maybe it matters a whole lot. Um, and so it, there is that element in, in all type of weather forecasting where understanding there's a certain amount, there's a certain amount of uncertainty. And how do you factor that uncertainty into your decision making process 
when it matters and when it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't matter at all. Sometimes it's incredibly critical to the decision that you're making. So when we're talking before, we're talking about the idea of deciding whether to keep a, I think it was refineries that we're talking about online or offline. Um, and, and that's, that's a, that's a very expensive decision that needs to be made. What's that thought process like when you're, when they're going through that and, you know, what information are you sharing? And then, you know, kind of walk me through that process, will you? Yeah. And generally that process starts before you're actually in the process of the decision-making. And I work a lot in the downstream petrochemical space, so I'll probably use that as an example a lot, but the same principles apply across to other things as well for obvious reasons is you have to decide early on what your your pain points are, what the thresholds are that actually have impact on your facility. Sometimes those can be in the area of intensity. So winds of a certain intensity, temperatures of a certain variety, um, a certain amount of rainfall, what that does for, you know, maintaining uh, wastewater, treating water, you know, flooding the facility, all those types of things. It really begins normally with understanding where those thresholds are that matter, where you have decisions around them. And then uh, again, I'll use this example because it's the one I'm most familiar with. And I think is the easiest to see in a big picture Ultimately, you come to a point of saying, okay, we're going to be outside of the parameters where it's safe for us to operate. The winds are going to be too strong, whatever the situation might be. Our personnel can't get back and forth. If we had a problem on the facility, we couldn't go out and respond to a fire or whatever it is. So we're better off to shut down the facility. Well, as you might guess, shutting down a facility like a refinery is a major endeavor. It's also a major financial decision. So you don't want to do it unless you need to. Uh, but you definitely want to uh, to do it if you need to. And so in that case, most of our clients there have well-defined phased response plans. How, how many hours out from certain types of events do they need to be prepared to shut things down properly, to properly evaluate, to, to harden the facility, to tie things down, whatever it is. And so our job as their weather provider is to give them that foresight and that understanding into what's expected. Is it going to reach those criteria? How likely is it to reach that criteria? A good example is a hurricane. Uh, you probably need to begin the process of preparing 36 to 48 hours out for a full shutdown. Hmm. There may not be a definite landfall on that or a definite intensity. You have good ideas. You meet the thresholds of where you should if you're being cautious and safe. But the possibility exists you're going to go through this whole exercise in hindsight for no reason whatsoever. But it didn't mean that you made the wrong call. <laughs> you made the right decision based upon the information you had at the time because you had to factor in the risk and reward of continuing to operate versus shutting down. And so our job really is to give them whatever it is in the current time, but also in that future time to understand, does this meet our criteria where we, where we need to take a proper response to mitigate risk or, or to, to protect assets and of course assets always include people as well so it's not just protecting physical assets but personnel as well yeah i mean in, in southern california people always think this we don't have weather but but we do uh but where we really see the the value um of having uh these weather reports specifically when we're talking about response is during our our um well obviously the wind events that we have and then fire events um you know how how important is it to have some sort of meteorological product in your EOC um, or at least having access to it as decision makers? I think it's important for two reasons. First of all, you want to make sure that you have a quality forecast or a quality alert alerts or what's going on in real time so that, again, you can respond to them properly. So just having good decision, good decisions come from good information. 
So you want to make sure you have the best information possible in the weather realm. You want to make sure that you have a quality forecast that factors in all the things you need to know. I've already talked about uncertainty to some degree and how that plays into the equation, which is an important part of that. But then the other thing, you know, when, when we do this for our clients and it's not uncommon for, you know, municipalities, cities, other things to have their own internal meteorological staff, because they need somebody then to interpret what they're seeing. I see what the forecast says. Now help me understand how how confident you are in this forecast. How likely is this to change? Is is this really what I think and see that it is? And so part of it is uh, having good meteorological input in the forms of just the data that leads to the information, but also the ability to ask a knowledge professional about the the things that maybe the data does immediately show. You know, I, okay, I see I see that there's a range of six to twelve inches of rain here. You know, on the forecast, right. six we don't care about. Twelve is a problem for us. <laughs> Where does it really fall? Why why is there this range of uncertainty? Help me understand this range of uncertainty. That's going to help inform my decision about what I do or don't do at this point based upon that uncertainty. Is that 12 just a, a remote worst case scenario? Or is it 50% as likely as the six, for example? Right. Well, one of the issues that we have, um, again, here, and go through my experience, and I don't know if this is the same issue across the country right now, is the... Uh, the utility companies are now turning off power lines due to stop the, to prevent fires. Correct. Right. Um, and they're making this decision based upon wind events and humidity and a whole bunch of different um, aspects of it. Um, it. You know, so I, I suppose getting a, a pretty accurate uh, account for shutting off power to potentially hundreds of thousands of people um, is pretty critical. Uh, so are you seeing more utility companies, you know, taking up, you know, products like what you guys do at Stormview? Yeah, well, we have several of them. I can't mention who they are, but we have several of them who are our clients that that's exactly what they're about is they're having to make decisions. And those are not easy decisions to make either. They're, they inconvenience people on, on the low side. They they create risks of their own on the other side. They create costs out in the marketplace uh, when it happens. So I know they don't take them lightly, but they have to balance the risk versus the reward of each decision that they're making. And so, yeah, that's becoming a lot more of what's there. And if you look at the things uh, Gartner did a study, I think it was about 10 years ago, we quote and reference this a lot in, in the consulting process and even in the sales process, the number one source of business disruption prior to a pandemic, by the way, the number one source of business disruption had to do with some form of natural disaster. It was weather induced because mm. the weather created the power outage. The weather created the flooding situation that made infrastructure in an area difficult for people to get mobility. The local logistics were impacted by the flooding, whatever the case might be. In fact, if you, I saw that chart the other day. It's been a while since I've seen it. Pandemic was down like at 4%. It would be much higher today for obvious reasons. But still, the number one source of business disruption is weather related. Uh, be that, uh, and that can be for something you don't even control. The weather is impacting the public power grid. They're shutting down the public power grid. You were just impacted as a business. You had no choice in that. That was right. that would that choice was made for you for good reasons, but that choice was made for you. Right. Well, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense too when you say about the weather impact, because I mean, if you look at the Northeast with the snowstorms and ice storms, specifically if you get an ice storm, say like in October. Uh, when there's still leaves and stuff on the trees and they snap it and pull and pull uh, power cables down, I mean that that makes a lot of uh, a lot of sense. But not only just the power side of it too is just even moving people around, right? I mean we had the I-95 issue that just occurred where you know for 24 hours people were stuck on the on the on the freeway due to you know the snow and ice, you know. So I mean weather really impacts everything that we do. I mean 
you, you know, whether or not, no, no point of intended with the weather part of it, that you, that you think about it, you know, what's the first thing that you do when you wake up in the morning is you look outside to see what clothes you're going to put on to see, you know, so weather does impact us all day long. You know, John comes over and says, "Down, nailed it, Don. We have some uh, the same issues with the health care, uh, canceled patient care as financial as well as patient health consequences. This is why I have a great partnership with the NWS office in Seattle. They're always available to consult before I present to my leaders. And then, um, uh, you know, there was one other one. Oh, yeah. And then uh, Elaine, Elaine says, uh, you need to consider your uh, what constitutes our universities make a good call for 24 hours ahead of the cities as they're responsible for other people's children uh, to, uh, you know, evacuate cities or students much earlier. Yeah, and school districts obviously are closing down as well, you know, due to weather. You know, um, as a kid, we used to, like, you know, turn on the radio to see if our our, uh, our school is canceled out in, in New York. Uh, one school district that I always make fun of is the uh, uh, was up in the, in the Catskills. I don't think the Ichabod Crane ever went to school in the wintertime because it seemed like they were always closed. And I'm not sure how those students ever graduated from school, but they did. Um, so, you know, weather. You know, when you're looking at this, it's, it's from a different perspective, obviously, for decision-making. You know, um, how does somebody get involved or get involved? How does somebody get in contact with, with you, you know, to, to really learn what, what they can do, what they can bring in, what products that you have, you know, I'm sure it's more than just like turning on the weather channel to see, you know, what's going on. Yeah. Well, mo most of our, our, our folks that have become clients have come to us through, you know, through, through experience that they've had with other clients of ours or, or just recognizing or in, the, in, in this world that we live in now, Google search, I, you know, weather help. Uh, for a lot of where I'm at, we're, we're, I'm based in Houston, Texas. A lot of what built the company and the organization that we have here out of the Houston office was tropical weather. So it's hurricanes, you know, Gulf of Mexico and Atlantic hurricanes were our big, our big impacts on the oil and gas industry. And then we, we certainly serve outside of that. My area especially happens to be in oil and gas, but we serve healthcare, retail, uh, the public sector, you know, we're, we're, we're full service in that respect. Most of them come to us uh, just through the various ways that, you know, leads come in and we just begin the conversation. And the conversations always start the same way, at least when I engage with them is, you know, help me understand how weather impacts your organization, because not every organization is impacted the same way, although there are common themes as different as they are. In fact, I often talk about, I noticed someone there was healthcare. My wife works in the healthcare industry. And there's a, there's a lot more similarity between a major hospital and a refinery in terms of how weather impacts them because they're both large, high profile single sites that have lots right. of folks involved with them. Uh, so they're a lot more similar, for example, than like uh, a refinery and the pipeline network for an oil and gas company that's all still the same company, but those are very different weather impacts and very needs. One's dispersed, uh, rarely manned, so it's really about protecting the physical assets or mobile work crews versus, you know, what happens at the centralized refinery, which again is a lot more like the hospital. And so most clients come to us normally having been stung by something in the weather realm. They had a problem and they, they, they were caught off guard, whatever that did for them. And now they're looking for better intelligence or a better way to figure out how to make sure that doesn't happen to them again. And the danger there, which happens in a lot of things is, you know, generals are always fighting the last war. Right. <laughs> They're always worried about the last thing that got you. Uh, if we do our job well in the consulting side of what we do as a company, we really make sure they understand or we understand, more importantly, all of the various exposures that they have, uh, not just the one that, that got you last time, because that's probably not going to be the one that gets you next time. Right. If, uh, unless, unless it's a recurring event, again, like hurricanes along the Gulf Coast, another one will come. 
whether that's a year from now, 10 years from now, I don't know, you will get another one. Uh, so that that's a recurring event. But winter weather doesn't always act that way. Tornadoes certainly don't always act that way. The other phenomena that you know people have to watch out for can be different. When I broke into emergency management, um, I was working for um, a city in Southern California that was near a nuclear power plant. And so when we're doing our drills and exercises and, and just conversation, uh, the, the weather pattern really made a huge impact on decision-making when it came to, are we going to evacuate people? Are we going to have the shelter in place? You know, how long is this nuclear uh, radiation, if it's, if it, you know, leaked, you know, where is it going to go and how long is it going to be there? And because like the weather can actually, you know, push it down to the ground or pull it up into the atmosphere, lots of cool stuff that, that was going on. And so that's when I real, you know, really realized like how important, you know, having that person inside your emergency operations center um, is, is critical, you know, and then uh, Tim Tran goes in there, says totally agree with specifically, especially for events like plumes and infrastructure fires. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, obviously for fires, it's going to tell you where it's going, right? It's, um, if it's a um, wildland fire, uh, where, where is it going? Um, so John goes in and says, I think one industry that's often forgotten about when it comes to weather is the ag industry. Sometimes even though a lack of rain or even towards the harvest is an atypical wet season has a massive impact on them. Absolutely. And I know John's been doing some work with the, with the vineyards, um, you know, in, in, in over just recently here. And I'm sure that really tells you how much, uh, you, you know, how it impacts the, the grapes, I suppose. And, uh, you know, avocado trees here in California and our, our walnut trees and whatnot. Um, yeah. How does uh, weather impact the ag uh, business and, and that? do you guys support them? We do. Um, and, uh, and the impacts there are slightly different because then you do have the immediate, what we call emergent weather impacts, you know, the, the types of things that affect everyone, but they're, they're the types of folks that want to know dry summer, wet summer, cold winter, warm winter. So you get a little bit more into the medium range forecasting, uh, windows. And then you also get into some of the climatological impacts there with, you know, there tend to be cycles in weather. So, you know, we're moving into a, a drier cycle, a wetter cycle, and the mitigation actions, you know, are much further out. You're not doing something to impact, you know, the whole nature of an agricultural business. You're not planting today and, 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 and reaping tomorrow. It doesn't work that way is that you have more of a timeline there. And so looking further ahead, uh, you know, 30, 60, 90 days, a full season ahead to get a better sense of what you might do. We provide that type of insight to customers and clients. And, and again, it can vary, you know, what, what's good for one type of, um, of client who's in the agricultural business, maybe the exact weather regime that's bad for somebody else. And so there's no, there's good weather and bad weather, but maybe there's better weather and not as good weather for an individual business, depending upon, you know, do they benefit from more rainfall? Well, that may help someone somebody else probably doesn't benefit from that much rainfall. Right. So my grandfather used to rely upon the old farmer's almanac, right? I mean, like, <laughs> it seems to me that's a little bit of voodoo magic in there, but I mean, is, is that kind of stuff pretty, I mean, can you, can you kind of chart down weather for years to kind of figure out what's going to happen same time next year? Or is it a little bit more scientific than that? It's more scientific than that. Although, you know, it's amazing to me. I see the statistics on that. It seems to be better than what the science would suggest. So I don't know who sold their soul to who to be able to, uh, <laughs> to do that. But, uh, or, or maybe that phenomenon, you only notice when it's right and you ignore it when it's wrong. Kind right, of. Right. It might not be that it's actually better than, 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 than a, than a coin flip. 
there are climatological and, and longer term patterns that can be tapped into. That's a little bit more challenging. And, you know, one of the questions that is existing now to the extent that there is climate change and, you know, regardless of where you are on that, I don't want to launch the political discussion on this because it quickly turns to one, sadly. But climate has changed over time. Climate will change over time. You know, whether you're talking about man-induced or non-man-induced is a different question, but it does change. There are cycles. You can rely upon the norms, but the norms have also been changing. And so factoring in both of those things in the short term and in the medium term is an important part of what's there. Uh, again, tropical weather tends to be where I go because it's what I deal with the most. And so it's what I know the most. We have seen in some cases, maybe we've seen an increase in the number of named storms in the Atlantic. You see that all the time on, on the news. Part of that is because we're not sure whether it's more storms or we just have better detection technology to be able to identify storms that we would have missed 50 and 60 years ago with no radar, with no satellite coverage or no, nothing to, to, to identify. Oh, yes, there really are the winds there. But we definitely have seen in the last decade or so, there's several studies out there uh, by very respectable sources that we're seeing rapid intensification uh, late in storm cycles now. So maybe not more hurricanes, but they tend to get stronger right before a landfall in ways they didn't quite before. What does that mean? Right. And so to your back to your original question, which is, are there longer term patterns? Yes. It's t there's, there's no such thing as predicting the weather for a year from now on a day, but there is the ability to look and say the patterns are generally setting up for drier, wetter, cooler, warmer, and then, so what are the variations inside of that pattern going to be? Um, so it's, the, the problem is what time horizon do you need for weather or climate insights? And then how good is the information that's available for that horizon? Uh, it's better than a coin flip and rolling a dice, but in some cases you need to take it with a grain of salt because it's so far out, it's not going to be something you can take action on today. I was watching this documentary on this um a guy who climbed 14 peaks, um, I think it was like in, in like a month or so. It was a world record he made. Uh, and I freak, if, if you guys, are, it's on Netflix. If you guys are interested in watching that type of stuff, it's really interesting. But the talk about the weather impact and, and having a small window of making a decision uh, that would realistically could kill you, right? It's not even like, oh, I'm going to be cold. This is like, if I don't do it now, if I'm on one side or the other side of this decision-making point, we could die, you know, and so uh, having those uh, those tough decisions are being being made. Um, understanding weather and what it can do uh, is a life and death uh, um, situation. So I guess relying upon, you know, the <laughs> the farmer's almanac probably wouldn't be the the best bet for that. Yeah, well, 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 I noticed there in the comments that someone mentioned the National Weather Service. We're actually blessed in the United States to have a very a, a highly competent, highly focused uh, national meteorological organization. Our, our public entity is very good at what it does and is very focused on public safety, which is which is important. Um, but that is their mandate. Their mandate is public safety. And so sometimes even the way that they communicate weather is around making sure that people are being perhaps more cautious than a business leader might need to be. They need to understand the difference between weather that's tuned for their business versus what's being done by the, and not that the National Weather Service is doing anything wrong. Their job is to make sure people pay attention to the risk that's there and err greatly on the side of caution. And so just the mandates that are there, but we're actually very blessed in our part of the world in the United States to have the quality of what we do, both in the National Weather Service, the National Hurricane Center. Our public sources are pretty good. Uh, yeah. There are parts of the world that, that struggle with that and don't have the same access that we do. Speaking of that, 
you know, I know there's always, you know, confusion on the difference between a watch, a warning, and a, uh, you know, and, and, and whatnot. Um, is there anything we could do to, like, really clean that up for, for the public of, you know, what that means for them? I think I think that you actually hit up on one of the challenges there. Watch means that the conditions exist. Warning typically means that it's going to happen, whatever going to happen would be. Um, there's normally things that are in between those two extremes, right? There's that's where the probability starts kicking in. What is the probability of the uh, of the threat factor? A good example is up in the uh, in Tornado Alley here in the United States in the last couple of years. The National Weather Service has gone to warning, essentially a warning on watch stance when it comes to tornadoes, meaning that before tornado warning meant that it had been spotted normally by a person or been spotted on radar. Now they will actually issue a warning, which suggests you should take response action based upon a highly advanced watch condition, something that looks so probable it could happen at any moment. So there they change the definition to your point, Todd, to get to where it's really more tied to the action that you need to take. Um, and again, that to me, that's where the probabilistic versus the, that's one of the first things I learned coming into this industry was the difference between deterministic forecast, that one number, the most likely versus what is the range of probability or possibility here and realizing, well, real world application. We've had cool enough weather here in the Houston area over the last couple of weeks that tropical plants have to be protected or they will be lost. Mm -hmm. So my, my real world weather experience outside of work for the last two weeks has been giving advice to my wife on whether the plants need to come in or more importantly, whether I get to go and bring the plants in or out. So that's where the rubber meets the road. Well, sometimes there, you know, she'll look at the forecast and say, well, it's going to be 41. And I'll look and pull up a probabilistic range that says, yeah, but the, the real, even inside the range, like a 25 to 70% spread says 37 to 43. You said right. below 40 is the magic number. So yeah, it may be 42. We may wake up in the morning and it never went below 42, but there was a chance for 37 that was real. So if you care about the plants, bring them in. And so that, 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 that's, that's, that's the absolute, you know, non-critical example of this. There are far more critical examples of that, but that's, the difference between probability um, risk assessment and deterministic risk assessment. It's not, weather is not binary. It's a range. Well, I mean, and in, in, in really expand upon that and to keep going back to the ag question is, you know, citrus plants um, are very, you know, they don't like the cold, you know, and so you'll see the farmers uh, putting out smudge pots, you know, and to keep the, keep the groves warm. Um, and I've seen it happen, well, I don't know how many years ago, but I mean, I remember Florida was getting cold and they had to uh, go and put smudge pots all over the place. So, you know, weather, weather is definitely, you know, impacts everything that we do. Um, I want to go back on climate change for a little bit. And, and, and again, my, my stance on it, my apolitical stance on this is this way. It doesn't make a difference whether you believe it's man-made or whether it's um, caused by the, the cycle, right? We as emergency managers have to really plan for and, and really react to and mitigate uh, from the weather conditions that are happening today, uh, whether it's doing, you know, looking at more intense uh, hurricanes or more tornadoes or having a tornado ripping through the area in December, which is very doesn't happen very often. I think the, know, that, that, that Kentucky outbreak was was atypical historically. Right. And I think that's. I think it's critical for us to take a look at this and, and to plan for these things and to really um, help message that across. Um, you know, what what can we do as emergency management? Let's kind of put that hat on 
is, is to really um, tell our, our decision makers down the road, um, you know, what they need to be thinking about when they're thinking about weather. Yeah, I, th I think we talked about this before, and it, I think there's two things that are there. First of all, recognize that response response, be it inside of an organization, in this case, particularly the public, that the public, the public can get fatigued by being told to, to, you know, be on your guard, you know, stand ready and then stand down, you know, nothing happened here, move along. And so the, the tendency is that, well, you have that happen through it's crying wolf, you have right. that happen three or four times. Then when the real event comes, you know, people disregard it. And I think that's the hard thing that internally inside of organizations that emergency managers have to come you know, communicate to elected officials or whoever's making that decision. I don't want to look like I made a decision when it wasn't necessary. That's why I mentioned before, you know, did that refinery make the right decision with the shutdown based upon what they knew 36 hours out, they made the absolute right decision. Now, the fact that 48 hours later, you know, more that didn't make the decision wrong when you made it. And then the other part is really, I think, communicating the risk. And uh, I think part of that also has to do with getting people to not just think about it intellectually, but getting to think about it anecdotally and emotionally. Um, you know, if I tell you here in Houston, we are still traumatized from a 2017 event called Hurricane Harvey that flooded everything. Yeah. So the first question that we will often get from our clients, if there's a landfalling hurricane or even a rain event is, is this like Harvey? Right. Well, as long as they're thinking Harvey, they're thinking the right way to be able to take responsive action. But that doesn't mean that it's going to be that. So I think the, the, the tough thing there, Todd, for people that are in the role of being, you know, in, in the emergency management, the emergency response role is communicating accurately to decision makers, but getting the decision makers to understand or have confidence. They may make a decision that looks wrong after the fact, but is defendable. Right. It's repeatable. It was, you know, we, we talk all the time with our clients. What are your objective criteria, not your subjective criteria? What are your objective criteria? When you sat down in a room and thought about, What's the criteria that we need to use to make this decision, yay or nay? Can we put a number to that? Does it make sense? You know, we've actually run the math on that where we know what's going on. So an evacuation, for example, is probably a good example. You have to order the evacuation before you can be sure to make sure that you properly evacuate everyone. Right. Um, Knowing what your criteria is for ordering that evacuation, that's objective criteria, is much better off than, you know, winging it, gut feel, whatever you <laughs> want to call it, that's that's subjective. And a lot of things, unfortunately, get made by subjective decisions because nobody sat down and said, what really are the objective criteria? You still right. probably are going to make a subjective call around the objective criteria even once you have it. But you're definitely going to make a subjective call if you don't have objective criteria. You're, you're destined to it. Yeah, I love the, the old timers that are like, you know, hey, I'm just going to use my gut. You know, it's like, well, it doesn't really the gut doesn't really stand up in the court or the court of public opinion either. So, you know, you have to make sure that you have some stuff to back you up. Yeah. And in, in the court, they talk about a prudent man rule. You know, you, right. you often hear that you know, it, it, this, this is the equivalent of the, what would a prudent person do based upon what you know and what you should have known beforehand? What, what did you do or not do? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Well, Hey, we're getting close to the end here. Um, I would like you to go ahead and you know let people know how they can find storm geo and what services that you guys offer. I appreciate that, Todd. Uh, we've probably given a, a rough overview here, and what we do is different for every company, so I, I would need another 30 minutes to go through. You can find us at www.stormgeo.com. We're global, so this is not just in the United States. Uh, we're actually, our current office is in Bergen, Norway. Uh, if you go there, you'll find all kinds of ways to, to reach out and contact based upon who you need. 
uh, be it someone like what I do on our weather inside side of the house where I'm doing offshore and onshore forecasting. We have a shipping division, obviously dealing with ships moving over water and how weather impacts them. That's an entirely different you know, regime and what happens with that for routing. Uh, but if you go to www.stormgeo.com, uh, you'll find more than enough ways to get a hold of who you need to get a hold of. And if you, you have an interest there, it'll get to the right person who'll be able to have a conversation with you. And that's how it starts, a conversation. Uh, understanding what somebody needs. Absolutely, Don. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Tom. Hey, hey everybody. Thank you so much for spending uh, your morning with me or this after your afternoon with me. Um, it is a, it's and this conversation I think is really important, especially when it comes to to weather and and, and how it impacts us, and specifically how it impacts us during disasters. Um, today, actually, we have um, the webinar that we're talking about about climate change and and how that impacts us as well so if you want to join us today on the, on the speak and spark uh webinar you can go to speakerspark.com and uh go to the webinars you can register for that as well so i'd like to see you there um starting today at 11 o'clock uh pacific time other than that everybody it's been a pleasure speaking to y'all uh next week is a very special show a very important announcement and we'll see you then until next time stay safe and stay hydrated